So I met this guy who is like a fund manager and he basically enrolled me into his fund and stuff like that. And I was sold basically. So the reason why I'm ashamed about it is because I sold this product to people and it worked. It was great. It gave a monthly return, but at the end, it turned out he didn't invest it properly. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. And I bet you're exposed to investment risk right now. To reduce it, go to myworstinvestmentever.com and download the risk reduction checklist I've made specifically for you, my podcast listeners, based on the lessons learned from all of my guests. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guest, Nina Sharil Khan. Nina, are you ready to rock? Oh, yes, totally. I mean, I hope so. <laughs> I know you are because you and I have just spent some good quality time getting to know each other. And I'm really excited to bring you to the audience. So let me introduce you to the audience. Thank you. And yes. So Nina Shereel Khan is the founder and CEO of PopCon, international speaker and host of the Just Langer PopCast live show. Nina is also marketing in Asia's top 100 inspirational LinkedIn icons for both 2019 and 2020. Her journey in entertainment began as an actor, TV host, and film and TV producer. Realizing that disruption was happening in social media, the rebel in her founded PopCon in 2018 as a creator community and platform to connect creative talent and businesses. Within just a year of its operations, PopCon launched the world's first ever business influencer conference. Today, PopCon has evolved into a full-fledged marketing agency and academy, working directly with TikTok, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and dedicated to developing and nurturing Southeast Asia's business influencers. My goodness, would you take a moment and fill any further tidbits about your life? Oh, wow. Okay. I would say that my life has been a series of accidents that led to where it is today. I've always kind of gone with the flow and I felt like, oh, okay, this thing's fun. Let's do that kind of thing. So I guess I'm what you call a reckless person, which is probably how I'm ending up in your show. (laughs) You know, worst investment. So it depends on whatever my goal was in life at that point in time. And I would go and pursue it because I'm one of those people who, you know, on, on your deathbed, you don't want to go like, oh my God, I can't die yet because I, I, I haven't done this. I haven't <laughs> done that. You, you, know, you know what I mean? So that was my philosophy. But yeah, it's made me a reckless person uh, but by all standards, according to families and friends. Yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. Well, you're in good company because Mark Zuckerberg said, 
do things fast and break things or something like that. Yeah, that, see, that, that makes that's me the think. thing. I wished I was born during, I mean, later in life or something like that, because this whole startup thing was definitely me. But now I'm at this different stage in life where I believe in the company of one, where, you know, you can be a digital nomad and live wherever you want to be and, and have your stuff and still contribute to the world wherever you are. Yeah. So for my friends, I think we got a chance to teach a, a little bit of some of vocabulary from different languages. In America, we say, Nike says, just do it. Mm-hmm. And I believe that you can teach us about what is the name of, you know, what you're doing and the show that you're doing and, and why is it named like that? Right. Okay. So it's called Just Langa. It's one of our commandments as an influencer or as a content creator. And Just Langa means just kind of crash it or just bump it. You just bump into it or just do it and then you'll learn along the way. You're bound to make mistakes, but it's okay because you're learning along the way. And that's the only way for you to get better. So yeah, so that's what it means in Malay. But when you say just langa, it means you're either you crashed a car <laughs> kind of thing, you crashed and burned, or you hit someone, or you're just like, ah, I'm just gonna do it. You know, whatever happens, happens. Yeah. So when the pandemic hit. We didn't know how to go online with our show. The funniest thing is we're teaching people to be business influencers or to be influencers, but we were having face-to-face <laughs> events. So when we look back and we're like, wow, what are we doing? So when the pandemic hit, we we're like, okay, we're going to do a live show, but how? I don't know. We'll just langar it. And I'm like, wait a minute, isn't that a good name for a show? So that's how it happened, just langar. And it's, it, people are like blown away by it that we've got people in South Africa and in, in India going like, yeah, just longer it, just longer it. So it's become like a phrase. So, so we're so grateful, really, yeah. That's exciting. And it makes me think about, you know, the saying in the startup world, I can't remember who was the person that originally said it, is that if you're, if you're not embarrassed by your first product offering, you waited too long. And there's this right. whole new mentality, you know, in business that is like, You've got to get out there. You've got to push yourself out there. And I think one of the things that I'm thinking about the value that you bring to influencers is that it's almost like you're that person up there when the influencers got to jump off a bungee thing and you're like, you just got to do it. You just got to do it. You got to yeah. do it. You're going to so, be okay. You're so right. So they call me, I mean, sometimes I'm, I mean, my title is CEO. That is what we call the halal one, <laughs> but I'm also the chief pimping officer. <laughs> what I do, I, I help sell you to become famous in Asia, you know. And my, my co-founder says, Nina, you do not go and tell the government people this, that you're a chief pimping officer. So I have my halal cards and my not-so-halal cards, you know. And then when I, I finish it, I give the chief pimping officer and the government people love it. They think it's hilarious. That's yeah, well, yeah, it's the so. chief promotion officer. Yeah, that's a polite <laughs> word. <laughs> I'm picturing you in this like pimped out outfit, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Well, and last thing before we get into the question mm-hmm. is if people want to connect with you and learn more, let's just say I've got a lot of listeners that are in Southeast Asia mm-hmm. that are thinking about, you know, how do I become more of an influencer? How do I make a bigger impact? You know, what's the best way to for them to contact you? Okay, the best way to contact me is definitely LinkedIn because I'm pretty much on there like 
every day. And I think I check it very often. The other thing is we also have a free Facebook group that you can join. And me and my team, we go live there every Monday at 8.30 Malaysia time. And we actually train people there. So we've done two lives there where we're actually going to feature one of our students next week, this coming Monday. And she's going to share about how she's been using the platform and stuff like that and some of her biggest wins and how she did it. So great, definitely so come we'll, and join us. Yeah. Why don't we include the link to your LinkedIn as well as the link to that Facebook group in the show notes. So for anybody listening, go to the episode show notes and click the links and get involved. Just, Yay. just longer. Yeah, just longer. Ah. <laughs> All right. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since <laughs> no one ever goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Okay. So you know how you read my profile and it sounded really freaking awesome and all that kind of thing. <laughs> this happened before all that, because this was like, I would say this was a dark period of my life that I try not to tell people about it because I, I'm still embarrassed. I'm still ashamed about it. So I was a scholar with one of the biggest oil companies in Malaysia and and I did this course, which taught me, you can do anything you want in the world. So I was high on that, right? Kind of thing. <laughs> and I decided to quit my job and do like financial and sell these financial solutions, which are unit trust. Because these people were all making money during that time. So I thought, okay, they can do it. I can do it. I can do anything. I was high, right? From that course. <laughs> so I joined and my friends joined, you know, so I joined. And as you know, when you're selling all these financial products, people who have financial solutions, other products would come and look for you, right? So I met this guy who is like a fund manager and he basically enrolled me into his, into his fund and stuff like that. And, and I was sold basically. So the reason why I'm ashamed about it is because I sold this product to people and it worked. It was great. It gave a monthly return. But at the end, it turned out he was, I don't even know if he, he didn't invest it properly mm. kind of thing. So it was, I, I don't know what's the term you call it, but in Malaysia, there's the term where it's, it's like a pyramid scheme or whatever. Yeah, we so, call so, it a Ponzi scheme oh, or yes, a pyramid scheme. Yeah. So it was a Ponzi scheme, like disguised as like a hedge fund and stuff like that kind of thing. And you know, as you go older, you kind of, because of that traumatizing experience for me, I then hear from other people, these others, and then you're like, oh my God, that sounds suspiciously like a Ponzi scheme. And then you just wait. There seems to be like a turnaround time. Within three years, it'll go bust, right? Right? Exactly. Yeah. And with technology, it gets updated. So it comes and then you get blinded by it, but it's the same thing. You know, you, you can kind of tell the vibe of it, but it gets updated. It's an online thing. You invest in it, you get monthly thing, and then it goes bust, you know, that, mm. that sort of thing. But that time I was making a lot of money because you get like commission, like a monthly thing. And so were the people. And the, for me, it was sad because for me, it was embarrassing. I'm ashamed of it because all these people invested. They were my friends. And all these people who invested because they trusted me. It wasn't even that guy. But because I trusted that guy, I went out and sold this. And although my friends don't blame me, but I blame myself. So I carry that guilt. So I think that is the part of the worst investment kind of thing. 
Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it went on for about two years. I mean, I had good money, but right. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And when can you remember when you kind of realized you got to get out of this? See, that's my problem. I'm one of those trusting people who, you know, when things are thrown at you right at you, you still trust, you don't want to believe it. So the only, we didn't know anything except when he came and told us, actually, there's no more money left. And I still trusted him. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, then again, that was probably my fault because I could have learned better and he didn't have to drag other people. But he didn't reveal. It was only, so we had sorted out with the, because he, the fund was being reported. So it was kind of frozen. So we were still, okay, what's going on? And da, 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 da. And then after that, he actually said that, actually, there is no money. We can't do this. And I was like, what? What do you mean there is no money? So when that happened, it was actually in the lawyer's office. And I remember we were screaming at him because all those years of trust, I mean, I remember like shaking my hands, shaking mm. because my friends invested millions, you know, hundreds and thousands and thousands and they were getting results so they pumped in more money and I was like I think you should be diversified but they were like no 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 we're gonna put in more you know and and these are retirement savings you know so that's why I feel ashamed and stuff like that mm. it wasn't until recently that I was telling a friend and he was laughing at me and I'm like dude, don't, don't make me feel bad. Okay. I'm still ashamed about this. And he's like, but why are you not so affected by it? I carry this with guilt around, you know? And he was like, it's not really your fault. You trusted someone and you shared it. And it wasn't like I, they even met him. So they trusted their money with him. So you were a victim, he said. And I'm like, yeah, I guess I am a victim, you, you mm. know, kind of thing. Yeah. And the worst thing is, it wasn't just that fun. There were others that came crashing all at the same time. And I was like, what the heck is happening? So there was another one where you invest in property and you buy and you sell, you buy and you sell. And that was making really good money. And then it crashed at the same time because it was frozen, you know, kind of thing. And right. then there was another one we invested in gold where you invest in it and you get monthly. And then, you know, you would release it after six months or a year. And that was also good returns. Again, it went in, mm. yeah, because so how, because of the regulations or whatever they said, yeah. you know. And I was like, "What the heck is the universe trying to tell me mm. that I am not getting?" You know, but it was all happening at the same time, you know, kind of thing. So my poor investors. <laughs> so because yeah. of that, I basically left the financial investment scene because you know I was so traumatized by it. Yeah, I, I, I hope this is clear that people. Yeah home listening and kind of understand it. Definitely. So how would you summarize the lessons that you learned from this? I would say that check the investments. It may sound good. Other people are making money, but even though the investments are good, if the country's regulation can come in and kind of stop it, then it's not going to serve you because your money is going to get stuck. Mm. Yeah. Yep. And also you want to diversify your risk. You don't want to put everything in one basket. You want to I would call this high risk, even though it's stable or whatever, I would put this under the high risk basket and maybe put aside 10% or 20%. So it's like play money and you do not want to be pumping in 50% of say your savings there, you know? So you got to be mindful, even though it sounds great and stuff like that, put mm. in money that you're okay with if it goes off. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Mm. So maybe I'll summarize a few things I take away from this. 
1992, I came to Thailand and I became a financial analyst in 1993. It was the time that the Securities and Exchange Commission of Thailand was set up at that time. Mm-hmm. And then when they started licensing analysts and salespeople, I was one of the first people to get licensed and I've maintained that license to today. Mm-hmm. And in that license, there's a lot of training they're trying to do about ethics and, and what is due diligence and all that. But, you know, there's a lot of people coming into the industry and it's just, it's hard. In addition, I became a CFA charter holder and also was president of CFA society. And the, the unique thing about the CFA charter for me is that we have to study a lot of ethics and I've taught ethics for many years in finance and in CFA. And so all of those things are like safeguards in the industry. So there's a few things that I would highlight here in this particular case. The first thing is that in Malaysia, it's the Securities Commission, SC. In Thailand, Mm -hmm. it's the SEC. But whatever country you're in, the first thing is that generally people are licensed. So the thing that you can do with any person is you can type their name into the website of the regulator and their fund. And it's one little step of due diligence to make sure that that person's licensed and that also there's no complaints against that person. Mm-hmm. Also, the other thing for anybody listening that finds out that you or suspects that you're being defrauded in some way, then you, you can contact the local regulator and report a complaint, and then they will investigate that and try to help. You know, that's what they're there to do is to protect the small investor. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's a lot of things. I think the other thing that's so important about this type of situation is that these situations always come at you in an appealing way. Yes, hey, it's earning money. It's yeah. low risk. Look, mm-hmm. you're already getting payments, you know, so you think, well, if I'm already getting payments, then it's working. But a Ponzi scheme is that they're paying you the payments that they're making to old investors are coming from the money that they're raising from new investors. Yep. And that's the definition of a Ponzi scheme. And that's why they eventually just run out of money when they can't get any more money in. Mm-hmm. And you're not my only guest from Malaysia that has mm-hmm. had a Ponzi scheme happen. So mm-hmm. You know, I think the last last thing that I would say is that managing money is something that you really need to always do due diligence on. And the damage that can happen from Ponzi schemes and these types of things, you know, I, I oftentimes think of my mother who came to Thailand to live with me when she was 78 and now she's 82, almost 83. When my father passed away, you know, she has she has the retirement money. But if, mm-hmm. if it wasn't for me around or other people, you know, how easily could she be defrauded of that Definitely. money? And, and, and mm-hmm. what is the financial consequence of that? It's enormous. You know, if you or I are defrauded at, at our young age, particularly yeah, mine, that's fine. That's <laughs> we fine. can make it yeah. back. But, mm-hmm. you know, and that's why, you know, the regulators are trying to protect and particularly mm-hmm. the most vulnerable people. So mm-hmm. a lot of different things that I take away from it. Anything that you would mm-hmm. add to what I just said? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, well, for me, if if there are people who are involved in selling it and didn't even realize it, I think one of the hardest things for me, which didn't even occur to me until I had a chat with a friend, I was a victim and I'm such an overachiever and I take all the responsibility for all this, you know, and, and they're my friends. These are relationships that I hold dearly and close. Until today, I feel like I can't face them because I feel guilty. You know what I mean? Mm. So... I think it's important to realize that you're, you're a victim and to not be so hard on yourself. And as an investor, when you do something like this and you invest and you get screwed, it's also to not feel kind of stupid 
and ashamed that you did this because it could have happened to anybody. Yep. Kind of thing. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, that's what I would I would say. And again, I would really, really urge, even if the guy is good and he can really invest, but if it's seen as not a proper thing, you know, the regulations can come in and freeze everything. You yep. know, so you're at the end of the day, you're still stuck and you don't want to be that. And you don't want to get into a legal because that's what happened. We kind of sued him. But, you know, it's been years now. Nothing's yeah. happened. So the best thing is avoid or invest with money that you think you don't mind if anything happens to it. Or if it's really early, get in and get out. That's what I would say. <laughs> I don't even trust myself with this. Yeah. Well, and, think- and it comes, but you're right. It comes in many forms. It's very misleading, but be very suspicious of it. And just, just here kind of thing. Yeah. And for the, for the young people listening out there and people that are building a career in this area where they are giving recommendations on things, mm-hmm. you know, I think the first most important thing is awareness. You've got to be aware of what, what people are doing and, you know, what things are. The second thing is the concept of due diligence, the idea that you do need to do some work to make sure that there is, you know, that this is legitimate. But then there is the idea that, you know, there's, there's only so much you can do. You're expecting that this person is acting in good faith. And so in a case like yours, the ultimate, really the ultimate question is, did you defraud, right? Now, some people know that something's wrong and then they keep doing it. Okay, now you're complicit. But once you knew that something was wrong and you saw it, and then you make it clear to the people that you are responsible to, then, you know, you've mm. done your best. And that's ultimately, yep. I think for everybody, nobody yep, wants definitely. to be tangled up in a situation like this. But if you've been innocent in the way that you got into it and, you know, you could say, well, I could have done more due diligence, but I did the best that I could. Mm. And you immediately, as soon as you saw something, you said something, mm. then, you know, everybody's in pain about it. But in the end, you know, I think you've done the best that you could. So, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and that's the value of this show. Because mm-hmm. we go through our worst investments and we think about what we did wrong, what we could have done better. You know, we give mm-hmm. advice to other people, but we also let it go. So mm-hmm. based upon what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid um, suffering the same fate? For me, ironically, it was about the lesson that I learned is about trusting myself and not putting it onto somebody else and not outsourcing that trust. Let's put it that way. So, you know, when you trust other people to be doing the right things and whatnot, they don't have the same values as you do. That sort of thing. And people mm-hmm. buy because of me and because of my relationship, because of the promise I make to them. So I think, and, and I'm a very trustworthy brand. I hold that very dearly. And I think what was missing in me at that time was me trusting me that I could take people and stuff like that. You know, I could lead people somewhere. And that's a lesson that that kept happening in my life, which I think maybe that's why it happened boom, all at the same time. So, yeah. So that for me is, I think, trusting myself and, and really believing in that was important. Yeah. It's a, it's a great lesson, the idea of the value of trust. Because if somebody knows that you're sincere, somebody knows you've done your homework, somebody knows that you're just not telling them something because someone's paying you to, to tell them, but that you actually, what you're talking about is coming from your heart, then yeah. you're building trust that other people can begin to rely. I know when people, one of the things that 
I always say about my interns is my interns get jobs pretty easily because the people who know me in the financial world trust that I am kicking their butts and that I am super tough. So they know if that intern can make it through an internship with me, then it's worth looking at that person. And so ultimately, you know, ultimately we as a brand, as Mm -hmm. just as a person, our reliability and our trustworthiness is, is our main value. So, yeah. So really I learned that, you know what, I'm not going to sell somebody else. If anything that I'm going to sell it to me. And that meant that I needed to step into my power and embrace me. You know what I mean? Yes. And, and that was what I was avoiding for the longest. And I think because I was young, I didn't think that I could do it. Why would anybody trust me? But then they did, you know? So it was about me trusting myself. And here's another thing about me because I do theta healing. So, so I have a coach who I work with and it's only years later that I realized that I had this belief where it goes back to the just longer concept that I would get into these situations where I obligate this unscrupulous people to come into my life to help me on my true purpose. And if it wasn't because of that, I would not have left that industry and focus Mm. on film and stuff like that. And in my entire career, there was always some unscrupulous person who would force me to like, I'll be like, ah, I'm leaving this. And then I go here to, to where I am today. So I think this is where I'm supposed to be. You know, so I don't know if that makes sense or it's, not. It's yeah. great. I mean, I think that the lesson for all of us, for people who are listening to the story, is the idea of in the process of building brand you, you've got to build that trust. And I think one other last thing I would say about the world of finance, but it's also the world in general, is that there's a lot of conflicts of interest that are going on in every business, you know, where you may be getting paid to recommend a product or you may be getting a commission if you're recommending a fund. It's just part of business. But one of the things that we teach in CFA ethics is that our objective is to disclose our conflicts of interest up front and before the person makes a decision. And that is a very high bar because most people don't do it. You don't know the commission that the salesman at the TV mm. shop is making. But the idea mm. in the financial world is to disclose your conflicts up front. And what I've think that that's sometimes scary but the point is is that man the respect that you get from people when you tell them i'm being paid for Mm. this or Mm. yes i'm going to earn a commission if this deal goes through i think when i learned about like say corruption and stuff like that that happens in in asia from my experience here what i learned is that the objective is not to get rid of conflicts of interest because it's impossible the objective is to expose them. And if you can expose a conflicts of interest, then the people can make their own decisions. So I think that's another really important lesson to take away. There is another one because a couple of years later, I ended up investing in something and similar. And I knew my, my hunch was telling me that it was a Ponzi thing, but because it was a friend of mine, I went along and I and looking back, I felt like I was obligated. I was emotionally blackmailed into it because he was somebody that I looked up to. So another thing to, you know, at the end of the day, if you don't want to invest, it is your right. Nobody can make you, even though they're your friend. So do not get into it, especially if your your gut feeling is saying no and stuff like that. So so nobody has the right to push you to do whatever you don't want to do. Yeah, Absolutely. that's what I would say. And CFA has 10 investor rights 
that are exactly what you say. And another one is that you have a right to understand the fees that you're being charged. And what's also interesting about that is you have a right to demand that they explain it in a way that you can understand it. And that's another big challenge. And so anyways, all right, last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Number one goal would be to basically grow our course and community to reach out to more people in 2021 and hopefully have like, I don't know, 5,000 members. Yeah. In our free group, at least. Exactly. Awesome. That's fantastic. So we're really excited about that. Oh, and I'm going to be launching, I hope to launch my own show. And this one will be focusing on healing and and people learning from each other and, and inspiring stories kind of thing. Yeah, because that's more me. The influence of pride is to help people with their business and stuff like that. Well, that's part of what this podcast is about. Because when we go through our worst investments ever, we start the healing process and the learning process. So listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. Remember to reduce risk in your life by going to myworstinvestmentever.com right now to download my risk reduction checklist and see how you measure up. So as we conclude, Nina, I wanna thank you again for coming on the show. And on behalf of Ace Dots Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Yes, I do. I would say trust yourself. Yeah. And when something really bad happens, it's usually like, an angel, I mean, in disguise, there's something for you to learn and you'll come out stronger and bigger than ever. Beautiful. I did not understand that for year, 10 years, yeah. And so look at you, you now. <laughs> All right, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well fellow risk takers. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott saying, I'll see you on the upside.